Amen. Amen. Well, welcome once again to Emmanuel Covenant Church. You guys can have a seat. And thanks so much for being here. You picked a great weekend to be here because we're continuing today in our series called Acts to the Future. And in this series, we're looking back in time, so to speak, to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's not just uh, in the Bible. It's not just scripture. It's not just God's word, but it's also an ancient historical document. And this document, it tells us a lot of the details of one of the arguably the largest human movement in all of history, the Christian church. And it details the beginnings of this. And so we're looking at this document specifically as a church because we want to know how, how do we share God's love in the way that they shared God's love? How do we do that? How do we do evangelism well? And as soon as you hear a word like evangelism, that word's kind of become a dirty word for a lot of people. Evangelism, I mean, when you hear that, maybe you've met an evangelist before and they made you a little uncomfortable, or um, maybe you felt some shame in your faith, or maybe some guilt, like, oh, I should do evangelism. Uh, But what we want to do is we want to look at at, uh, at not Jesus' sales gimmicks, okay? We're not interested in that. That's not in Scripture. We're not interested in putting notches in spiritual belts. We're not interested in that. That's not in Scripture either. What we are interested in is how do we do this well? Because if you're new today, you need to know that there's a lot of people that are sitting around you right now that would truly say from the bottom of their heart that we've experienced God with us. And we've experienced his love, and it's so good. It's so good, it's changed our lives. And we wouldn't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity to experience that for themselves. So how do we do this well? How do we do it with tact, respect, effectiveness, faithfulness and according to scripture. So that's why we're looking back in time. And it's a lot like that movie Marty, uh, or Back to the Future with Marty and Doc. Do you guys remember that? 1985, before I was born even. It it was great. (laughs) But I still love the movie. So, but Back to the Future, well, if you remember the story, Marty's this 17-year-old punk kid that, uh, uh, he, he plays in a band called the Pinheads, right? It was just pretty awesome. It was kind of like Van Halen, and, uh, but they told him he was too loud, and he, he, things weren't working very well between him and his girlfriend, and they couldn't connect the way that they wanted to, and his life and his family weren't really going anywhere, and, and really his one friend in the world was Dr. Emmett Brown, right? And, and Dr. Emmett Brown, or Doc, as Marty referred to him, I mean, he had squandered his family fortune trying to invent this something that worked, and finally, he invented, what did he invent? Time machine. The time machine. And what makes the time machine go? The flux capacitor. So he finally, he, he slips on the toilet, hits his head, and has this vision to invent the flux capacitor. You know, that old chestnut, right? And, uh, but the, you know what's interesting about this story of these, these people that went back in time to influence the future? What's interesting is that these two friends are not very much alike, are they? They're very, I mean, look at them. They're very different. And I mean, you could take that in two different ways just looking at them. Uh, they, they look pretty different with that thing on their head. But the, just the two of them, one's younger, one's older. One struggled in school. One's an inventor. One's a popular with the ladies. The other was kind of a social recluse. But they had like this unity. They had this friendship, this unique unity, this unique bond that enabled them to accomplish their mission, to get back to the future. And it's a whole lot like the early church. A whole lot like the early church. You see, the early church was incredibly diverse. The early church, I mean, they they were so diverse, and there was all sorts of new things that they were trying to figure out, but they had a unity. It was so unique. And it was so unique 
that literally thousands of people were flocking to the movement. And the movement went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and it went all the way to the ends of the earth, even to Shoreview, Minnesota. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we do a unity like that? How do we do a unity as a church? How do we have a unique unity that uh, can enable us to share God's love with the world? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but unity isn't exactly easy in the church or in any arena of life. And this is, I mean, this is kind of common sense, but you should still write it down anyway. Unity is difficult simply because people are different, right? Unity is difficult because people are different. And you know what's interesting? This isn't even like a, um, a Christian problem. This isn't a religious problem. It's just a people problem, okay? It's just a, a human problem. Unity is difficult because people are different. And all throughout human history, our history is marred with uh, uh, disunity and even wars between um, races and tribes and nations and sexes and religions and philosophies. We all know the trouble that ensues when a government is divided, when a political party is divided. We know the trouble that ensues if a marriage is divided, if a family is divided, if a company can't unify under one vision. And you know this from your own life. You know that, that unity is difficult. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever been the boss, <laughs> you know how difficult aligning everyone to do the work well, how difficult that can be. If you've ever led a group project, has anyone ever led a group project either in school or at work? I mean, that, that's, that's so frustrating because there's always the slacker. There's always that one guy. It's so difficult to just get the same people with different calendars and different priorities into the same room at the same time. It could be difficult. You ever had a roommate? Didn't take out the trash? Unity's difficult. <laughs> or maybe some of you are thinking of your spouse right now. I don't know. <laughs> See, if you've ever been on a team sport, you know how difficult it is. If you've ever been in a play, if you've ever been in a band or done any sort of musical thing, uh, you, you know how important unity is, but you know how much work it is. Unity is difficult because people are different. And I think that I learned this best uh, when I first picked up the guitar. And um, this guitar, um, I found this guitar in my dad's attic. I was helping him clean it out. And um, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful guitar. The wood's actually extinct. And this guitar was made before Back to the Future, actually. Um, but I saw this in the attic, and I thought, if I learn to play this thing, girls might like me. So <laughs> junior high, right? And, and it worked on my wife, I'm just saying. So it, is anyone else a guitar player? I'm just, I'm just curious. Anybody, uh, one, a couple? Anybody an air guitar player? Not as cool, but we'll work with it, okay? Um, so one of the first things that you have to learn when you learn to play guitar is uh, how to tune the thing, right? So... Um, there's six different strings, and they are different notes. And all these notes need to have uh, harmony with one another. That way, when you go to play a chord, it actually, it actually sounds right. It sounds good. When, when you do the chord shapes, when you put your fingers in the right spots, it'll sound right. Right? So it sounds good, right? It sounds nice. Now let's just imagine. Oh, thank you. That's not why I did that, but thank you. Now let's just imagine, just for a second, that one, one string is just a little out of tune. Not quite in harmony with the other, so let's just, let's just imagine, 
you guys not like my song or something? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, sh I shouldn't have done that to you. That's hard on the ears, isn't it? It's hard on the ears. And, um, but this is exactly why we need to talk about unity as a church. Because a church might be doing all the right things. A church might be doing all the right things, playing all the right chords, reaching out in all the right ways, have read all the right books, have people that are willing to do the work, that are willing to give of themselves. But if a church isn't unified, if a church is out of tune, we might be doing all the right things. But our song is hard to listen to. Our song, our song is hard to listen to because we're out of tune, because we don't have that unity. And here's the problem with disunity. See, disunity, it makes it difficult for people to trust in Jesus. Not the church, but Jesus. Disunity makes it difficult for people not to trust in religious institutions, but in Jesus. And churches, they divide for so, we divide for so many different reasons. And it's not a religious problem, it's a people problem. We have churches that divide into Democratic churches and Republican churches, to rich churches, poor churches, churches that are all one ethnicity or the other. We have churches that will divide into um, uh, old people churches, family churches, and young adult hipster churches. And we put up all these walls and we divide. There is a denomination for every single disagreement that you could think of, right? And it's so easy. But disunity in the church, it alienates people. It hurts people. It distracts us from accomplishing and carrying out our mission to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love each other, and to love our neighbors, ourselves, to serve the world around us. It distracts us from that. Disunity makes it difficult for people then to trust Jesus, not the church, Jesus. And if we want to reach out to the world and share this love that we've experienced, I mean, unity is essential because maybe, maybe you're here today and you've heard a church that's been out of tune, and you began to cross your arms in church, or maybe you just said, no, thank you, and you left. And unity oh, is so important. You, you have to have a song that's not that hard to listen to. And sometimes the church is out of tune. So how do, how do we, how do we as, as Emmanuel Coven Church, how do we make sure that we're in tune, that we're singing our song in tune? How do we do unity in a way that shares God's love with the world around us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of different people here. Backgrounds, stories, histories, a lot of different people. How do we do that? And this is a question that the early church, back in the book of Acts, they had to deal with this question on day one, the very first day that the church was born, they had to deal with this same question that we're still dealing with in Shoreview, Minnesota, uh, 2,000 years later. And so we're going to look at their story, and hopefully we can glean something from that. So the story kind of goes, uh, that, well, it doesn't kind of go, it actually goes. Jesus was doing his ministry for three years, about three years or so, and he came to Jerusalem, and it was kind of the end of his ministry. And Jesus, um, well, he, he, had, he had a lot of fans, but there were some people that weren't fans. Because Jesus, he was doing miracles, he was uh, raising people from the dead, uh, and he was saying, I'm the son of God, I'm the fulfillment of all these scriptures, and there are a lot of religious people that didn't like that. In fact, they uh, manipulated the system a little bit, and, and uh, the political powers that be, and, and eventually they, they murdered him. They murdered Jesus. They crucified him on the cross, and so he, he died, and he was buried in the grave, 
And the disciples, the guys that were following Jesus around, Peter and the disciples, they were like, oh no, we bet on the wrong horse. Oh no, they killed our leader. They want to kill us next. And Jerusalem was a very dangerous place for the disciples all of a sudden. But then they saw the empty tomb. And then they saw the risen Jesus and they put their fingers in the wounds that had killed him. And they, they knew that he was alive. They felt his skin. They felt his breath. They saw him eat and Jesus was alive. And the movement wasn't over. The movement was amped up. The movement was amped up. And so Jesus says, hey guys, I know Jerusalem's a little dangerous for you right now, but you, you guys need to hang out in Jerusalem and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you and we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. You are my witnesses in, Ju- in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the, the disciples, Peter and all the guys, they're all hanging out in Jerusalem. Okay? And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking, look at this, in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And that's kind of different, right? That doesn't really happen every day. Um, I mean, imagine that all these guys are sitting around and they're talking in Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever, and then all of a sudden, parlez-vous français? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak languages that they'd never learned. They're speaking, and it wasn't French. We know it's not French. I just, that's all the French that I know. So that's what I said. (laughs) And someone's probably going to tell me, you said it wrong. But um, anyway, so they, they are all of a sudden speaking these languages that they've never heard. And then we'll it's not just like a private prayer language, as legitimate as that might be. These tongues had a purpose. Look at verse 5. It says, At that time there were devout Jews from every nation. This is important. Every nation living in Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem, it was a, a, an ethnically divided city. There were a lot of Jews, but they were ethnically divided. They were from all over the world, and there was a little tension there. And not only that, they had a little theological tension, too. See, there were the Pharisees, and they believed in, like, the ritual purity and cleanliness. And then there were the Sadducees, and they, they didn't believe in the res- resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Bible jokes, gone wild. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and there were the Essenes and the Zealots. And so they were ethnically divided, and they were theologically divided, and it's a whole lot, like the church, the church in the United States whole lot like that. And at that that time, there were many devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you be? And they were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. And yet, we hear them speaking in our own native language languages. And, uh, and so everyone's just trying to make sense of this cross-cultural experience that's happening. And some people are like, oh, it's a miracle. And other people are like, ah, oh, those guys are just drunk. And then Peter steps up and says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning, which I thought was a funny way to respond, <laughs> to respond to that accusation. But that's what it's in the Bible, folks. That's, it's in there. You can read it for yourself. Uh, so that's what Peter says. And, and then Peter does something interesting. 
he preaches the first sermon ever recorded in the church. First one. And what he does is he, he, there's this whole diverse crowd of people, and, and he says, I know the one thing that they have in common, they have the scriptures in common. And so he quotes from the Old Testament, something that all of the this people in this diverse crowd would have been very familiar with. He quotes the prophet Joel and tries to help them make sense of what's going on. And I want to share this passage with you. It's really interesting. Look at Acts 2.17. He's quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Everyone say all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, which is what just happened to the disciples, right? The spirit was poured out upon them. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arise. And look at this. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's almost like Peter was quoting this passage, trying to tell these people, hello, hello, it's been in your Bible for hundreds of years, guys. It's been, and it's happened today. The thing the prophets predicted, it happened today because, because I know that, that you guys are diverse and you guys are different and we're different, and, but Jesus has a mission for us and diversity and unity Look, it was always God's plan from the very beginning. It, wa- it wasn't just for the Jewish people. It wasn't just for the people that believed this way or for this, this ethnicity or this socioeconomic class or the people that follow uh, these rules just right the way that you think that they should be followed. Jesus, God's love for the world is for everyone. And unity and diversity, it was always, always God's it's always God's plan. And then P- Peter, he adds his own commentary. And I'm just going to warn you, Peter's commentary is not very seeker-sensitive, okay? Uh, P- Peter's commentary, I mean, you should go back and read it for yourself. It's, it's a very interesting sermon that he writes, but there's essentially four points, okay? He's talking to these Jews in Jerusalem, and these are the same guys that when Jesus was on trial, they said, crucify him, crucify him, these same guys. And so Peter says to him, to the, this crowd of people, he says, you killed Jesus. God raised Jesus. We've seen Jesus. So say you're sorry. That's what he says. <laughs> wow. Not very secret sensitive. Holy cow. <laughs> you killed Jesus. God raised Jesus. We've seen Jesus. So say you're sorry. And you know, it, it, if I got up here and I pre- if those were my four message points, you'd be like, who are you? You know, <laughs> but that's the message that Peter preached. And look, look at their response in verse thirty-seven. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other disciples, "Brothers, what should we do?" And Peter replied, "Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ." For the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is important. This, tune in. This is great. This promise is to you, to your children, and even 
to the Gentiles. Now, this, this is a big deal. Even to the Gentiles. You might have a translation that says, uh, even to those far away, like those in Shoreview, Minnesota, far away, uh, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. See, this group of religious people that Peter was talking to, they might have been very theologically and ethnically diverse. But one thing they could agree on, the Gentiles, I mean, they're second class. The Gentiles, I mean, they're unclean. Even the Gentiles, and Peter's saying, yeah, this has always been God's plan. That when Jesus Christ would come and he would die on the cross and be raised from the dead for the salvation of the world because God so loved the world, it wouldn't just be for people that behaved a certain way, that thought a certain way, that had a certain color skin or had a certain amount of money. No, it would be for everyone, for everyone, even the Gentiles. And God valued those Jewish traditions They were his people. And he valued the other people that had different traditions. But he even values the Gentiles so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for the forgiveness of their sins. Even the Gentiles. And then something interesting happened. I mean, this is truly fascinating. Do you know what, what they did when they heard this message, when they heard the good news of Jesus. A church was born, and 3,000 people were baptized that day, that very day. I mean, it's hard enough to get your small group to grow from 5 to 10, okay? It's, it's hard enough to grow a church of 30 people, but all of a sudden, boom, mega church, born in one day. And if that's not miracle enough, do you, do you know what happened next? This mega church. This is born in a single day, all of a sudden had this unique unity. This group of people that were so diverse and so uh, uh, theologically diverse and ethnically diverse and just different people, all of a sudden they were unified. How? In ways that most people in our culture are just simply unfamiliar with. Look, look at this passage that describes what happened uh, after this scene. Just imagine for a second, what would it be like for you to live your life in a church like this today? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And devoted isn't like, uh, uh, it's not like, um, uh, you know, we showed up and we listened to the preaching every week. No, they devoted their lives to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And then look at, look at this, this response here. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. How cool it would be to see that. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possession and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They took care of each other. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Not oftentimes are those words associated with the church. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. This is, this is it. This is the key. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
So how do we do a unity? How do we do unity in such a way that it shares God's love with the world and it's not an out-of-tune guitar? How do we do unity in such a way that it shares God's love with the world when we're so different? That's our model. That's our model right there. And, and in that model, in that model, we see that Jesus was the center. We see that Jesus was the center. That for all, all of God's plans, throughout all of Scripture, Peter preached that it was Jesus at the center. Did you notice that Peter did not give a five-point sermon on how to be a friendly church? Did you notice that Peter did not give a five-point sermon on how to be a unified church? What inspired this kind of unity among people that were very, very different, who then reached out to people that were even more different? What inspired that kind of unity? It was a unity with Jesus at the center. In a word, it was the gospel. See, Peter didn't preach how to do unity. He preached that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the dead. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, when God raised Jesus from the dead, it declared a victory. It declared a victory over the sin that controls us. It declared a victory over the death that we can't avoid. It declared a victory over the darkness of evil in this world. And that when we put our faith in him, that victory becomes our victory. God imparts that victory to us because Jesus is the center. Jesus is the fulfillment of hundreds and, in fact, thousands of years of Scripture. He's the fulfillment of it all. Of all of that God has done in human history, Jesus has always been the center. And what inspired a church to reach out to the world and move from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth? It was the fact that they were unified with Jesus at the center. That the gospel had gripped them in such a way that the good news of God's love for this world had gripped their lives in such a way. Not just their intellects, but their lives in such a way that as different as they were, their differences began to sing in harmony. Their differences, their guitars got tuned to Jesus. Jesus became the center. And the bottom line is that when the gospel grips a community, when when the gospel grips this community, when the gospel grips the individuals in this community, our diversity, it can begin to sing in harmony. And, and, And there's something you need to know. There's something you need to understand. In fact, please do not misunderstand this. This does not mean that, well, okay, since we're all Christian and since we believe in Jesus, that all of those uh, ethnic differences and cultural differences and the differences in our backgrounds and all that sort of thing, that just doesn't matter. It's just, it's just Jesus. We can just relativize everything, and truth doesn't matter, and, 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 and we, those things, we don't need to even worry about those things. No, 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 no. That's not what we're saying today. What we're saying is that When Jesus is the center, all those other things, they get put in their proper and respectable and honorable place. In fact, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see that they have all sorts of trouble (laughs) figuring out the practical implications. If there's one principle you want to take away of how do you do unity when we're so different, the only thing you really can learn is that it's messy, but it's worth it. 
It's so worth it. And it was God's plan all along. And the only way that it's ever going to happen, the only way that it got out of uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, and the only way that it's going to get out of these walls is when the good news of God's love, Jesus Christ, is our center. Is our center. And you know what's so cool? Is that when we put our faith in him, not only does Jesus save us from our sins, not only does Jesus declare a victory over our death. He gives us a part to sing in that harmony. We get to become one of the strings on the guitar. We get to contribute to that song. Think for a second of um, the best concert that you've ever been to in, in your entire life. Uh, the lights, the music, the sounds. And, and I mean, concerts are fun, right? I mean, they're just great. And for me, the, uh, probably the, I had a tie. Uh, one of the best concerts that I went to was Coldplay's Viva La Vida Tour. Uh, saw him in West Des Moines, Iowa. It was, it was amazing. I saw it with my wife and my brother-in-law. Uh, but then the other one, and it's hard to say that something could ever beat this concert. I saw Sir Paul McCartney. Oh, man, from the Beatles. You, do you know who that is? Does anybody know who that is? Okay, all right. I just, yes, thank you. I'm glad that someone knows who that is. <laughs> and and it, was, it was amazing. I was gifted skybox tickets, okay? So I could see everything, and, and it was awesome. And he had these flamethrowers that threw fire into the air and this awesome band, and, and it was just so cool. And it was so cool to hear Paul McCartney sing Blackbird or Yellow Submarine or Let It Be, which was the first song I ever learned to play on that guitar over there. So cool. But the part of the night that I, I won't ever forget was when Paul came out to the piano, and he sat down, and he started playing Hey Jude. And some of you are whispering, like, oh, I like that song. That song's good. <laughs> and, and he started to play that song, and before he even began singing, we all started cheering and clapping because we knew how good the song was. We knew how good Paul McCartney was. We knew how good the band was and how cool the lights were. And, and we were just excited. But we weren't just excited to sing the song to a CD or in the car to our iTunes or iPhone or whatever. We were going to sing Hey Jude with Paul McCartney at center stage. And I'll tell you, when, when we got to that part in the song with the na 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 nas, you know what I'm talking about? Na 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 na, hey dude. Sorry, I hope my singing doesn't ruin it. But uh, uh, he got to that part in the song, and it's amazing what happened. This whole stadium, twenty two, three thousand people, just erupted in song. Just erupted in song. And from the skybox, you could see it all. There were bikers and cowboys and hippies and dudes in Hawaiian shirts. There were teenage girls, and there were girls that were probably teenagers when Paul first began singing this song. Uh, there, there was uh, burger flippers, and there were CEOs. There was every ethnicity that you could imagine. And it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what your story was. It didn't matter what your background was. It didn't even matter what language you spoke. You could sing that song. And there was something about that night that, for just a song, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And you know what the good news is? The good news is that we have a song to sing to. We have a song to sing as a church. And with all due respect, with every ounce of respect that's due, to Paul McCartney and Hey Jude. Love that stuff. But the gospel, the 
Jesus Christ, that is the sweetest song to the sound of our soul, or to the ear of our souls. It's the sweetest song. And you get to be in the band. You get to play the shredding guitar solo. You get to play the awesome drum beat. You get to sing the amazing harmonies. All with Jesus Christ, center stage. And Jesus invites you, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, what your story is, your socioeconomic status, no matter who you are, what you've done, the good news is that you get to be in the band. That's good news. You see, some of you, you love your spouse in front of your friends, uh, in front of your coworkers, and, and, um, and you love your spouse even when your spouse isn't very lovable. And you show, when you do that, you, you're showing that there is a unique unity. There is a unique unity in God's people, and it's not because our spouses are especially lovable, though they, though they probably are. You should tell your spouse that they're especially lovable after the, the message today. But it's because Jesus is the center. It's because Jesus is the center. And when you do that, when you, do, when you take that song on the road, you show that there's a unique unity among God's people. When you go to work and you work hard for a boss that's pretty much unbearable, and you work hard because you have a boss that's in heaven who loves you, you show that there's a unique unity. There's an integrity among God's people, and you're singing your part. When you refuse to sacrifice your family and your key relationships on the altar of your quote-unquote success, you're singing your part. You're singing your part. And it's amazing to see a church where even Packers fans and Vikings fans can come together and we can sing our parts. We can sing in harmony, as different as we are. And it's messy. It's hard. But with Jesus at the center, we can do it. And we make a beautiful sound. And no matter who you are, you'd want to join that song when it's sung in tune. Some of you, you sing your part out in the dark days. And I know a lot of you, a lot of you have dark days. And some of you are in those dark days now, and you're singing your part. And I'm, I'm telling you, you can see it. You can see God's light, his love shining in you through you in ways that you probably aren't even aware of. And you're not alone because we are the church and we have a song that's worth singing. We have a song that's worth singing and it's that Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive and he loves this world so much. So I got to ask you, what's your part? Who's your center? Who can you share it with? What's your center today? Is it the tyranny of your calendar? Is it your, your preferences, your traditions? Is it money? What's it? And I'm not talking about like intellectually, what's your center? I'm talking about with your, how you live your life. What's at your center today? And what's your part to play? Jesus has given you a part in the band. Play it out. He's given you that gift. Play it out. Be who you are. God made you. You are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus to good works that he prepared a long time ago. What's your part? 
And who can you share it with? Can you imagine if Paul McCartney resorted to singing in the shower? How much would the world have missed out on if Paul McCartney never took Hey Jude on the road? How much would the world miss out on if we never took this song that we sing on the road? So what's your part? Who's your center? And who can you share it with? We're going to enter into a time of communion together. And uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he's, he prayed a prayer. And that prayer was uh, not just for the disciples, uh, but it was actually for us. It was for the church today. And that the church would be unified. His prayer, his one prayer, the last thing that he said in prayer in the garden was that he would be unified. And it was earlier that evening that um, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And this is a time where we as a church are going to center ourselves. We're going to have the opportunity to center ourselves on Jesus. We're going to have an opportunity to receive the forgiveness of our sins, to experience the presence of God and his love together as a community. This isn't just an individual faith. This is a faith that we do together. And when we sing it together, oh, it is so good. And you're invited to be in the band. It says in Scripture that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And scripture also tells us this is really important. That if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. But look at this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we enter into this time of Holy Communion uh, to experience Jesus as our center today and the forgiveness of our sins, I want to invite you to make a confession along with me out loud. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy of these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. And let us pray together as the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So who's your center today? What song are you going to sing? Who, who can you share it with? Because the song that we have to sing, we're, we're, just, we're not just consumers of religious goods and services. We're contributors. We have a part to sing in the song that Jesus is singing throughout this world. And you get to be in the band. So will you receive this blessing? May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus, then all of you can join together in one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being here today. Some of you, you're experiencing um, uh, the Spirit of God speaking to you today. And I want to invite you to go over and meet with our prayer team. Uh, Don't don't ignore that. Uh, And some of you, maybe you're feeling like, this is just a day where I need to come home. This is just a day where I I have some needs that I just need to talk about with somebody. And there's going to be these people over here that would love to pray with you and hear your story. Thanks so much for being here this week and have a great rest of your weekend.